0: The first movie that we are going to talk about is Three Colors Blue. This movie is about a woman named Julie, who is played by Juliette Binoche, who is haunted by the grief she experiences after surviving a car accident that killed her husband, who worked as a music composer, and their young daughter. Her initial reaction is to withdraw from her relationships, lock herself in her apartment, and suppress her pain but avoiding human interactions on the bustling streets of Paris proves impossible, and she eventually meets up with Oliver, who is played by Benyar Rigné, an old friend who harbors a secret love for her, and who could draw her back to reality. The themes of this movie are liberation, isolationism, and invulnerability. According to the article, Blue, Bare Necessities, written by Nick James, featured in the current magazine on the Criterion channel, the article states, Julie's subsequent attempt at self-negation suggests more than one interpretation. Unable to go through with suicide, she wants to disengage, to be cold, to isolate herself in a low-key existence. Since she can't physically do away with herself, she tries to do so psychologically, to annihilate her persona by removing all of the props and trappings that made her who she once was. This quote beautifully goes along with our first theme of liberation because Julie doesn't know how to identify with her grief, which causes her to shut down, yet she wants to find a way to be free of whatever pain she's feeling. And a lot of that pain does come in the form of suicidal ideation, because we never see her act upon those thoughts, but we do see her completely disassociate from her own reality. And this disassociation causes Julie to abandon her own sense of self. As an audience, we see that materialistically. She has an apartment, she has bed, she has food. She has things that physically give her the ability to survive. But that mentality that she has of being stuck in that mindset of pain and grief are completely closing her off from the rest of the world. And that is what is completely closing her off from these new experiences that she can explore as an individual without her family involved. As an audience, we see her getting by in the real world from an external point of view because she is able to survive through a lot of the materialistic items and possessions that she has. So it's what we see externally versus what we abandon internally. Her cold and aloof temperament helps her cope with the sadness that she refuses to acknowledge, and she begins to feel liberated by this new identity that she takes on because she's so adamant about taking a step back from what she so desperately needs to identify with. The article continues to state, The new identity that she adopts so aggressively, a bite while striving not to be cruel, can be seen as an embodiment of a certain idea of feminism, of a desire to no longer be dependent on even the concept of a male partner, the maternal instinct, or the family unit, things that are now ashes in her mouth. This quote leads us into the theme of isolationism. This lack of dependency that she has allows her to spend more time with herself. She creates this new identity for herself, not just as a person, but as an artist. A few of the main questions that circle around the film for the audience to interpret is how much of her husband's career did she have an impact on, and how much did she influence his artistic work in some way. Because when we see the opening scene of the film, the audience catches a quick glimpse of Julie's husband and her daughter, but we never really know too much about them. The larger focus on the film is mainly on how Julie is able to rebuild her life after the loss that she experiences. This also helps feed into the concept of isolating oneself to discover or reinvent a new part of ourselves. A huge part of this isolation leads us into the other theme of invulnerability. There's this scene where Julie discovers a mouse and her babies living in her closet. She bends down and immediately grabs the broom to get rid of them, but she can't bring herself to complete the act. And she ends up borrowing the neighbor's cat so the animal could kill the mice instead. And that scene was a very powerful scene for me to watch when I first saw the film. Because I realized that Julie didn't want to be that person that destroys the prospect of someone or something else having family. She brings in someone or something else to complete the task for her. Which causes this innate sense of guilt from her because she doesn't want to be seen as someone who destroys something for somebody else. The color blue itself that is used primarily in this film is also a huge resemblance of the grieving process that Julie goes through because it represents a lot of these fragmented moments of her remembering her life with her husband and her daughter and how she's able to recognize that and able to come into her own and realize that she can heal from this process. There is also another really interesting technique in the film where fade-outs are used in the middle of the scene. So instead of a scene fading out and going into another scene, we have a scene fade out and then the scene continues. And those fade outs are incredibly important and incredibly impactful. Because the audience is able to see how Julie is processing what she's going through in the moment. It's almost like that fade out represents Julie taking a pause And coming back into the reality that she has been disassociating from for so long. Out of the three movies in this trilogy, I would say that this film and Three Colors Red have had the biggest impacts on me. This film in particular definitely strikes a bigger chord with me because I'd watched this film for the first time when I was going through a loss of my own. And the movie as a whole, really does represent the idea of hope, the idea of healing, the idea of feeling free enough to be in a place to recognize that grief is okay. And grief is just a part of life and a part of the process. And I think that is what a huge part of the ending of this film resembles as well. Because the ending of this movie is a huge resemblance of life moving forward and healing. We see these subtle scenes within different relationships and within children being born and we finally see Julie allowing herself to let go and grieve because she has the proper space to be able to experience those emotions. Next up we have Three Colors Red. This movie is about a part-time model named Valentine who is played by Irene Jacob who meets a retired judge, played by Jean-Louise Tringanet, who lives in her neighborhood after she runs over his dog. When she returns with the dog to the judge's house, she discovers him listening in on his neighbor's phone conversations. At first, Valentine is outraged, but her debates with the judge over his behavior soon leads to them to form a strange bond. The themes of this movie are connection, fraternity, and empathy. According to the article, read, A Fraternity of Strangers, written by Georgina Evans for the current magazine on Criterion.com, the article states, There's something beautiful in the fact that we can give something of ourselves. But if it turns out that, while giving of ourselves, we are doing so in order to have a better opinion of ourselves, then immediately there's a blemish on this beauty. Is this beauty pure, or is it always a little marred? That's the question the film asks. We don't know the answer, nor do we want to know it. We're simply reflecting on the question once again. This quote leads us into the first theme of connection. Valentine and the judge meet through the judge's dog, Rita. Valentine accidentally runs over Rita with her car and ends up taking Rita to the vet and finding out that she's pregnant and then bringing the dog back to the judge. And that's how they meet. And it seems very poignant of a film to focus on the connection of two people and how simplistic things can bring people together. I think the fact that a dog is what brought these two people together and that is how their friendship was formed feels very poignant and it feels very natural. And I think that that's where the film also pinpoints the whole ideology behind how animals have had such a unique impact on the way that we live our lives as human beings. Another really interesting part when they first meet is when Valentine finds out that the judge is spying on his neighbors and recording their conversations. We immediately assume that Valentine is going to form an opinion about this. We immediately assume as an audience that she's going to call the cops or she's going to tell them off or some type of conflict will ensue within this interaction because spying on people and recording what they say without them knowing isn't exactly a moral thing to do or a right thing to do. But what's interesting about Valentine is that she doesn't form an opinion about the situation. She doesn't form an opinion about the way that he goes about doing what he does. She just accepts the situation as is and doesn't try to influence the situation. And I think that that acceptance shows a huge part of who Valentine is as a person and how she's willing to be present and completely Immersed and accepting of the relationships and experiences that she has in her life This appearance that Valentine has and just the overall good-natured vibes that she presents really does create a strong level of transparency for him and that's where we see them in their relationship and how they are able to guide and learn from each other. And this relationship that they have with each other is such a great example of how presenting the best version of ourselves can really help us form a deeper connection with the people that we want to get to know or the people that we love. The article continues to state, This feeling of mysterious presence reflects the way Kizlovsky spoke of the narrative of Red. He described the story, and particularly the missed relationship between Valentine and the judge, in ways that suggest that the world is a hidden design, a beat one prone to flaws. For him, the essential question the film asks is, is it possible to repair a mistake that was committed somewhere high above? The idea that there is an invisible but flammable authority presiding over the world within the film naturally invites us to consider the director himself in that role. This quote leads us into the theme of fraternity. The definition of this term is the state or feeling of friendship and mutual support within a group. My favorite thing about the relationship between Valentine and the judge is that they are essentially brought together by a dog. They don't know each other personally when we first meet them, and they meet through Rita, and they are bound together by another creature and by another life form. And I think the film also dives into those questions of how does a higher authority influence a relationship and can our flaws play a significant part in how we treat each other or what decisions we make. Another really interesting aspect about their relationship is the way that their flaws are seen through the film. They experience a difference of opinion when they first meet, but rather than letting those differences destroy their relationship, they are able to work around those differences, and we see them become a really strong support system for each other. The article continues to state, The way the film considers fraternity reflects this sense of a hidden pattern underlying the everyday lives of its characters. Rather than conventional brotherly loyalty or friendship, the fraternal relationship is one of uncanny resemblance in the eyes of the spectator. The film is full of doubles, echoes, and reverberations that invite us to see people, incidents, and history as part of a bigger mechanism that we intuitively discern rather than intellectually comprehend. The spectator role of this movie starts with the vibe or the feel of a film, and the overall feel of this movie gives the audience space to understand the characters as observers. The audience is observing the relationships and events and seeing how those relationships and events pan out for what they are. And as audience members, we are getting a taste of recognizing what is happening right in front of us, and how that affects situations intellectually. In other words, we are focusing on how the external affects the internal. For example, what Valentine is able to take away from her friendship with the judge is a powerful representation of these two kindred spirits being brought together by an unlikely commonality if we're looking at movies in the context of them being an empathetic machine, then the theme of empathy definitely rides through throughout this whole entire film. Because we see that Valentine doesn't really have much connection outside of her relationship with the judge, and the judge has little to no connection with anybody outside of what he has with Valentine. And because of this, when they are together, They develop an unspoken understanding of each other and each other's needs. And it's that art of being in each other's company without dialogue. Sometimes it's really nice just to sit with somebody or be in somebody's company. You don't always have to have a conversation with them. You don't always have to feel the need to talk. I just think having that physical presence and showing that you can be there in a physical way definitely holds a lot of weight to it and it holds a lot of power to that. And that is really what is a huge defining factor of Valentine and the judge's relationship. The color red itself is represented a lot throughout the film within the physical objects, people and animals that bring Valentine and the judge together. What brings Valentine and the judge together does play a huge part in how the movie ends. Valentine ends up taking a ferry to England and gets in an accident while on the ferry, but she survives. And before she leaves, she had asked the judge if she can keep one of Rita's puppies. And once the judge finds out that Valentine survived this accident, it was such a huge relief for him. And we see that once again, they are brought back together by an animal, but this time they are brought back together by one of Rita's puppies, by one of her children. And it's such a great, full circle, subtle kind of an ending, because you get to see that no matter where they are, or where they end up, they'll always be in each other's lives and they'll always be in each other's corners. The last movie that we are going to talk about in the trilogy is Three Colors White. This movie is about a Polish immigrant named Carol Karol who is played by Zbigniew Zbikowski who finds himself out of a marriage, a job, and a country when his French wife Dominique, who is played by Julie Delpy, divorces him after six months due to his impotence. Forced to leave France after losing the business they jointly owned, Carol enlists fellow Polish exportrate Mykola, played by Janus Gigos, to smuggle him back to their homeland. After successfully returning, Carol begins to build his new life while never forgetting his old one. The themes of this movie are equality, revenge, and liberty. According to the article White, the non-political reunifications of Carol Carol," written by Stuart Clawans, the article states, It seems there's no separating White's possible political theme from its moral one, which is that the existence of a border is no excuse for withholding human concern. This moral theme, in turn, is inseparable from the subject that really interests Kizlovsky, the possibility, not very reassuring, that as much as the peoples of the world ought to treat one another as equals, the relationship between husband and wife always entails a little unfairness. This leads us into the first theme of equality. In the opening scene, Carol and Dominique are getting a divorce in court, and Carol asks, where is the equality? Is my not speaking French a reason for the court not to hear my argument? As Carol is projecting his point of view, we see that Dominique never accepts Carol as the other half. And if we're thinking about relationships in terms of them being like equations, one individual Without another individual, it doesn't make up an equation. You have to have two individuals to make up an equation. And Dominique is very much an individualistic type of person. And she doesn't want to be tied down by Carol and what he does. And it becomes very fractured and very disconnected because of where they are. They basically are on two separate parts of the planet. Carol wants Dominique to come back to Poland with him, and in this film, Poland is seen as a corrupt country. People lie, they cheat, they scheme their way to success in a corrupt environment, and Dominique doesn't want to be a part of that energy. Her reluctance to go with Carol reflects a lot of her embarrassment of being with him, because Carol comes across as this pathetic figure that doesn't do much for her. The article continues to state, but we may judge that he does fear Dominique or her disapproval by the image of her he upholds, which is both exalted and ridiculously banal. Carol still sees Dominique as a bride, training to smile while the air itself avails her in white. We may even guess that he views her as the cinematographer sees Julie Delpy, as the flawless, pale, sunbeam-haired reflector of light. No wonder that Carol cannot make love to the Dominique who is only flesh and blood, no wonder that he is destroyed when she proves her core-up reality with someone else. The themes of revenge and liberty coexist in very interesting ways in this particular film. Especially when we're thinking about this film and how it fits within the other two films in the trilogy. Because Carol and Dominique break away as individuals. Carol goes back to Poland and does what he can to convince Dominique to come back with him. In this particular instance, when we're thinking about their relationship and their dynamic, he is somebody that wants what he idealizes, but isn't satisfied with what he actually gets. He can't see himself being in a country that doesn't speak his language or doesn't share the same commonalities that he does, and he sees a lot of the French and Dominique and he is very much Polish and he very much blends in with that corrupt society and that corrupt lifestyle and he doesn't know how to break away from that and he is very much somebody that finds his liberty in Poland and finds his freedom within that corrupt lifestyle and what that corrupt lifestyle represents for him is so far from what he experiences with Dominique that by the time he actually gets back with Dominique and they have this night together, he realizes that it's not what he really wanted. He dreamt of this and he idolized this, but when he's in the present moment with her, it really isn't something that he feels he can commit to. This particular film in the trilogy has a huge contrast from Blue and Red. For one thing, Three Colors White has a male protagonist instead of a female protagonist. So we go from having Juliette Pinoch and Irene and Jacob playing really strong female characters in the first two to being led by a male protagonist in Three Colors White. And from my personal experience watching this film for the first time, I think that having this film be led by a male protagonist deflates the film in a lot of ways. Because we go from seeing Julia Pinoch and Irene Jacob playing these really strong intellectual, intuitive female figures in both blue and red to being led by a male protagonist in white that doesn't share that same intuition as the other female protagonists in the trilogy. And I think being that Julie Dempley plays the main female role in this film You really do go into the film believing that this is going to be her movie. And then when it isn't, it takes a whole different tone. It takes on a whole different persona. The color white itself is another interesting part of the film that doesn't exactly tie in with the way that the other two colors are represented in the trilogy. Because the color itself doesn't appear to be... As prominent or as important as the other two colors in the movies. One other reason I don't feel this particular film is as strong as Three Colors Blue or Three Colors Red is because Kieslowski started out as more of a political and documentary kind of a filmmaker and those political conflicts pull through a lot more in this film, and that political take is what generally influences the choices of the characters. If we're taking that political context and putting it next to the more emotional and reflective context of red and blue, does, it just doesn't carry the same amount of weight and it doesn't carry the same amount of significance. Red and Blue are two films that can very easily go together simultaneously because a lot of those themes are very interwoven and connected with each other. And Three Colors White just doesn't have that same energy and doesn't carry that same amount of weight and that same amount of significance. But at the same time, a lot of those political conflicts are what center around the ending of the film. Carol recognizes that he has to let Dominique go, and he has to be able to create a life for himself as an individual that isn't dictated by who he is when he is with her. As an audience member, you can easily see that that stems from a lot of the political conflicts and a lot of the constraints that are intertwined between his life in Poland and his life in France. Now moving on to some fun facts. For Three Colors Blue. At the 2018 Visengard Film Forum, cinematographer Slawomir Itzak claimed that the script and initial cut of the film focused on the journalist character and her efforts to investigate the authorship of the unfinished musical composition that drives the plot. It was only during the editing process that director Krzysztof Kozlowski restructured the film to focus on Julie. When Oliver has tracked down Julie but is then ignored by her, there is a close-up of Julie allowing a sugar cube to soak up her coffee. Deeming that the sugar cube has to soak up the coffee in precisely five seconds, Christoph Kieslowski had his assistant director test multiple brands which soaked with coffee anywhere from 3 to 11 seconds to find one that took just the correct time. At one point, we see Julie carrying a box which, as a close-up shows, has prominently written across is the word blanco, Spanish for white. In the next shot, we are looking at her from behind as she pauses in the streets as a man in blue passes her on her left and a woman in red passes her on her right. This is a subtle reference to the structure of the Three Colors trilogy, blue, white, red, in that order, mirroring the French flag. In another scene, children in red and white bathing suits run out and jump in the blue swimming pool. After the opening screening of this film at the 2018 Visigard Film Forum in Bratislava, cinematographer Slawomir Itzak described an unusual technique he used to shoot the scene where blue lights glare appear superimposed over Juliette Binoche's character. It was apparently achieved by wrapping the camera in blue gels, opening its rear and flashing lights directly at the film negative. Some fun facts for Three Colors Red. Prior to filming, Krzysztof Kieslowski asked Irene Jacob if she ever wished for a different name when she was a child. Jacob told him that she had always wanted to be named Valentine, and the name was used for her character. An elderly man trying to throw a bottle into a glass container is visible at the beginning of Three Colors White. This seems to be a similar situation to the elderly woman seen doing this in Three Colors Blue probably suggesting a parallel action of the two movies. In Three Colors Red, another woman can be seen again. This time, however, it is night and she receives help from Valentine, thus finally succeeding in throwing the bottle into the glass container. For this film, Krzysztof Kieslowski became the sixth person to receive a Best Director Oscar nomination for their last film. After Jerome Robbins for West Side Story, Joseph L. Mankiewicz for Sleuth, Ingmar Bergman for Fanny and Alexander, Sir David Lean for A Passage to India, and Charles Christian for A Fish Called Wanda. Of these six, Robbins is the only one to win. This marks the second collaboration between Christoph Kieslowski and Irene Jacob after they had previously worked together on The Double Life of Veronique. Some fun facts for Three Colors White. Almost every shot in the movie contains at least one white object. Julie gently shared that Christoph Kieslowski would sit under the camera and chain smoke because he always sat under the camera. He was in very close proximity to the actors during close-ups. She continued that this was reassuring as he was solely focused on his actors, but sometimes it could be distracting. Julia Pinochet has a cameo as Julie at the beginning of this film in the courtroom scene and also as a cameo in the final scene of Three Colors Red. Now moving on to some movie recommendations. First up, we have Marcello Mastriani and Sophia Loren in A Special Day. Marcello plays a gay man who is the neighbor of Sophia's character. And for one day, they meet each other and get together and spend the day together within this backdrop of fascism and war. And I think having that intense background really helped bring that dynamic that they had together to life in a very vulnerable and intricate way. Because they were able to really appreciate each other and enjoy each other's company in those present moments that they had together. And their chemistry just overall, in general, as friends, as actors, as people, really does shine through within their characters. And it was such a special film to see. Next up, we have the French film, A Mad Woman's Ball, which was released recently. It is a film that Melanie Laurent directed, and this film is about a young girl who goes to a psych ward because she sees spirits, and the movie itself is very intense, but the acting has a lot of really great moments to it as well, and I love... Being able to see Melanie behind the camera, because she's mainly known as an actress and she's an incredible actress, but being able to see her take a step back and be in the director's chair and work with a lot of really strong female actresses and work with a lot of strong female characters definitely brings a new kind of energy to her work, which I really enjoy seeing. Next up we have Gemma Arterton in the movie Summerland. This movie came out about two years ago. And it's another really lovely film set during World War II. And Gemma plays a lesbian who ends up taking care of her lover's child during the war. And it's an incredible emotional film that is very captivating and very moving. And just overall, beautiful landscape, beautiful cinematography, has very bright, vivid colors. I love the way that the film captures the beauty of the English countryside. I think that that's what won me over the most. Last but not least, we have the 1992 film, Indochine. Catherine Deneuve was nominated for an Oscar for this film, and rightly so. It is very intense and it is very heavy. But Catherine, as always, brings a great level of sensitivity to the role and brings a great level of vulnerability. And her performance in this film definitely shines through. And just her overall beauty and the way that she carries herself as a character and as a strong female character in this film is incredible. So many of the movie recommendations today are based off of really strong female characters that lead the way beautifully. As our time together comes to an end, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in to M's Drive-In. I'm your host, Emily, bringing you into the exciting world of cinema with some behind-the-scenes facts and everything you need to know about some of the best artists in the business. Keep an eye out for next week's episode on the filmography of Federico Fellini.